Heritage. Our Heritage. A program about who we are, where we come from, and our aspirations. Hello and welcome to Our Heritage, a program that talks about who we are, where we come from, and our destiny as Africans. We are coming to you from Channel Africa, from Johannesburg, South Africa. You're with me, Sydney Katunga Piri. through what others would call imperialism well before the recent infamous colonialism. People who became influential and powerful became rulers. Apart from wealth that could come with it, those that could command respect from the rest of the people took leadership roles. In kingdoms of Africa, we bring you professors and gurus in the subject of royalty in Africa and define what constituted a kingdom and empire in the continent. We hear about great kingdoms, their rise and fall. So stay tuned as we look at the great kingdoms of Africa. From ancient kingdoms of Sudan to medieval Zimbabwe, Africa has had kingdoms that made their mark on world history. As early as the advent of Islam in Africa, with the conquering of Egypt in the north by Caliph Omar, to the Bantu migration that extended to southern Africa, African people have experienced the rise and fall of kingdoms and empires. But is there any difference between a kingdom and empire? Professor Jeff Pierce is from South Africa. He joins us on the line to outline the differences. I think that these are not scientific expressions. I think every chief would like to be a king and every king would like to be an emperor. So you won't find consistency in the use of these words. Uh, in, 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 in African history more generally. But I would like to offer my, my own definition because I think we need to understand, all of us, uh, that before chiefs, there were simply families. The, the, the basis of African politics is the African family and the reciprocal relationships of love and trust growing out of the, the, the family. And the original chiefship was actually something that also grew out of a, a family, meaning that the oldest man of the oldest line of the community became recognized over time, over the passage of generations, as a, a chief. And as all readers of uh, Chinua Achebe's classic, Things Fall Apart, will know, there are many African societies in, in uh, southeast Nigeria, for example, 
uh, among in, in, in Nugu, Port Harcourt, those places where they never saw any need for, for, for any rulers at all. And they got, got along quite fine. So a chief is simply somebody who is the head of his extended family. Now, a king is somebody who rules not only over his own personal family, his own relatives, but over others as well. That for some reason or other, depending on the history, communities generally began to recognize a certain family as superior, as uh, perhaps inspired, uh, perhaps technically more competent, perhaps more wise. And they started to look at that family as a, a royal family. And as time went on, it made a lot of sense uh, under those circumstances that uh, to, to stop different families quarreling with each other, you recognize a single family as a royal family. And those are what, we, what I would call kings. Uh, now, emperors are uh, kings of kings, if I can put it like that. Uh, in an empire, it's so big, it's so great, that the king rules over nations that he himself have never, ever, perhaps never seen. Uh, but he knows that they exist because they recognize him. And every year they pay him a sort of a tax, which is in English usually referred to as a, a tribute. And when he calls them to his army, they come to his army. So just to recap, a chief is a person who rules over members of his own family or his own extended relatives. A king is someone who rules over a number of families, a number of communities who recognize him as uh, having a, a royal blood. And an emperor is someone who rules over large territories, over other kings who pay him tribute and who send soldiers to serve in his army. So uh, the, the wonderful thing about African history, and I'm not saying this because I think an emperor is superior to uh, a, a grandfather, is that just as in Europe, in Asia, in China, in, in all the India, all the countries of the globe, nations of the globe, there were also emperors in Africa. And uh, there were, were emperors, uh, whether it's West Africa or East Africa, Central Africa, South Africa, there were these great rulers that, 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 that we can refer to as, as emperors. And these, we, we can record, I'm not talking now about Egypt, the pharaohs. I'm not talking about the, the, the Arab world of uh, North Africa. But in, in all other areas of Africa, we had got great empires uh, of which uh, certain of these empires lasted for over a thousand years. If you look at uh, the, the empire of Borno, uh, close to, to Lake Chad, this is around Maiduguri, the, the area where the Boko Haram are, are, are active today. That empire of Borno lasted over a thousand years, but uh, we'd concentrate perhaps for descriptive purposes 
on the earliest empire, uh, which were the empire of Ghana, Mali, and Songhai. Elvis Igosi, a resident commentator in community issues based in the eastern area of Johannesburg, joins me in the studio to interrogate some of the myths in African kingdoms. Uh, Professor, I, I like your explanation actually when you define these three classes of, of the rulers. There's something that I, 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 I picked up there is that the chief is like a family ruler and, and mm. you grow up as the as the bigger you, you grow, you change yes. the name, basically. Yes. But yes. It, it, it's what is more interesting to me is that uh, each category has got something that you must be seen to be offering, to be known mm. as, actually, as a ruler of that specific mm. area. Mm. Because if you turn it to the uh, to our new dispensation now, like, like in our times, is that yeah. you need to have the ruler even if you take it to combat it to the uh, previous one is that you must offer something in order to be known to be actually uh, occupying a certain name or a certain stage in the life mm. i noted that and actually with a big interest and i like it because it well clarified speech there now moving on uh, prof now when we look at uh, kingdoms because you know our program today is specifically talking about kingdoms of Africa mm. how many kingdoms can we say Africa has I mean Africa had dwell on the ones that we're going to talk today well um, I, I think one must always remember that Africa is a very large and, and, and mighty continent and that in old days uh, rivers were highways, mountains were, were, were blockages. So a lot depended on, in terms of the, the, the size of the kingdom, which I think is, 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 is highly relevant. Uh, there were those kingdoms that existed, let me say, in the, 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 the open flat, such as what is called the Sudan, where there are no mountains, very few hills, easy passage. And those kingdoms were very great in, in size. Whereas those that were in the forest or the edge of the forest, communications were uh, uh, cut off. And then uh, perhaps, uh, uh, I would say, colonial administrators would tend to downgrade the, the, the smaller states as chiefs or as headmen. But for the people under that person, he was a king. So I think it's hard now to to put a number um, on it. I mean, I mean, if one would look at uh, Malawi, for example, you would find five or six kingdoms around Malawi and uh, northern Mozambique, that area, uh, uh, even before the arrival of the, 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 the Angoni in the 19th century, who in turn now added five more kingdoms. So it, it's very hard to put a number. If you are going to be, let me say, stingy and mean, you would say that 
surely there were over 200, 300. But if you're going to be liberal and generous, you would say that there should have been several thousand. Now, I'm not making a mistake. I'm not adding a naught. But I think that I could say that uh, an African historian, just even without consulting a book, could just reel off a hundred a hundred viable kingdoms of, of, of substance based on my definition, which is purely personal, to say a king is a person who rules over others in addition to his own family. Uh, I would agree that the king must offer something. Uh, perhaps he is somebody who is a great rainmaker, but perhaps he's simply somebody who can offer people protection from uh, enemies. Uh, this is why we see kingdoms in Lesotho, for example, uh, because uh, King Moshweshwe was not born a king. He's not even the senior line of the, the Bakwena, but he was the one who could provide security uh, to, to, to people living in fear of, uh, of, of Chaka. So I think in the first place, uh, a king is somebody who can provide the communities that recognize him with protection and also with, um, I would go beyond land. Land, uh, you know, land without food, desert. Um, uh, he can also uh, regulate the agricultural cycle. You know, make sure that cattle graze where they don't uh, uh, eat the food. Of, of, of everybody, sustainability. Those are the things that were in the hands of kings. And as I said, if we would define kingship as somebody who rules over others and provides for them services that they cannot just get in their own village, then certainly kingdoms would be uh, several hundred, if not thousand in number in the, in the whole Africa. to Our Heritage on Channel Africa, The African Perspective, from Johannesburg, South Africa. In the program this week, we begin looking at the kingdoms of Africa, where we begin a series of programs on the rise and fall of great kingdoms and empires. Earlier, we heard the difference between a kingdom and an empire. We are joined on the line by Professor Jeff Pires, a renowned professor in history in South Africa. While Europe was experiencing its dark ages, a period of intellectual, cultural and economic regression from the 6th to the 13th centuries, Africans were experiencing continent-wide renaissance after the decline of the Nile Valley civilization of Egypt and Nubia. The leading civilization of this African rebirth were the Aksum Empire, the Kingdom of Ghana, the Mali Empire, the Songhai Empire, the Ethiopian Empire, the Morsi Kingdoms, and the Benin Empire. The Kingdoms of Aksum, however, 
can be rated as one of the oldest of the African kingdoms and is spread across what is today Ethiopia. The kingdom of Aksum, however, can be rated as one of the oldest of the African kingdoms and is spread across what is today Ethiopia and Eritrea in an area where evidence of farming dates back 10,000 years. But would one say that there is a specific number of kingdoms in Africa? We ask Professor to explain. So the three great kingdoms or empires uh, of Africa from the year 800, for example, Ghana, Mali, uh, those are not the same as the, uh, the places that we know today. Uh, it's just that when Kwame Nkrumah attained power in uh, Gold Coast, as it was called, Gold Coast Colony of the British Empire, he said, I don't want this colonial name, but Ghana was a great empire, it was a great kingdom, so I'm taking that name. Another mighty kingdom of olden days was the Kingdom of Congo. Now, that is in what the Portuguese called Angola. So it becomes difficult now, again, I, I, I know I'm not helpful to you, um, that one would just say, which were the empires, which were the kingdoms? Uh, because people will perhaps confuse the names, that the kingdoms were, were, uh, were there. So just to give you a, a picture, because I think that the time is running out, and so that no part of Africa should feel, uh, how can I say it, left out. You would say in West Africa, you would say the three oldest great kingdoms or four would be Ghana, Mali, Songhai, and Borno. And that is even not counting Nigeria, which is the greatest country, biggest country, the powerhouse of Africa. And they also had their own kingdoms. Then in uh, East Africa, you cannot forget the, the, the empire of Ethiopia, the home of Haile Selassie and Rastafari, which was the first Christian state in Africa. Ethiopia was Christian before Europe was Christian. That's the historical fact. Then in Central Africa, in uh, East Africa, in the Great Lakes region, you would have Buganda, you would have Rwanda, and then the other side of Central Africa, you would have uh, the Kingdom of Congo, which was destroyed by the Portuguese and the slave trade. And last but not least, uh, everybody has heard of Great Zimbabwe. But Great Zimbabwe is a place. It's not the name of an, a kingdom or an empire. That kingdom we would call the empire of Mwene Mutapa. But if you, had, if you would give me uh, the, uh, another hour, I would still not have run out of kingdoms. Africa had many great kingdoms. Thank you. Listening to Our Heritage on Channel Africa, The African Perspective, from Johannesburg, South Africa. In the program this week, we begin looking at the kingdoms of Africa, where we begin a series of programs on the rise and fall of great kingdoms and empires. 
Earlier, we heard the difference between a kingdom and an empire. We are joined on the line by Professor Jeff Pierce, a renowned professor in history from South Africa. The Songhai Empire replaced Mali as the most important empire in the West Africa, covering modern states of Mauritania, Senegal, Nigeria, and Mali. Origination as a smaller kingdom along the eastern side of the Niger River would expand their territory dramatically from the reign of King Sunni Ali. In ancient times, there were several different groups of people that collectively formed the Songhai identity. Among the first people to settle in the region of Gao were the Soko people, who established small settlements on the banks of the Niger River. The Soko fashioned boats and canoes, and they were hunting from their boats and were providing waterborne transport for goods and people. Another group of people that moved into the area to live off the Niger's resources were the Gao people. The Gao were hunters and specialized in hunting river animals such as crocodiles and hippopotamus. Professor Pires talks about the Songhai Kingdom. Songhai was uh, the third great empire around the, the gold field. Uh, Africa was known as the land of gold uh, in, the, in the old days. And in the year 1324, when the king of Mali uh, uh, went on the pilgrimage to Mecca, he spent so much gold in the streets of Cairo that the, the historians say that uh, gold was cheaper than, than, uh, than dust. Now, Songhai itself uh, was created by a, uh, the, the, the first great king of Songhai in about the year 1450, uh, was named Soni Ali. And he was a, a great magician who ruled for about 40 years. But, uh, you know, even then we had globalization of a certain kind. He had to stay on good terms with the Arab nations to the north. Uh, so he also had to build a town. He himself uh, was a follower of indigenous African religion. But he recognized that uh, people of Islamic faith uh, had a contribution to make. They had knowledge, they had handwriting, they had communication, uh, they had money, let's not beat about the bush. So he built a town for the, the Muslims that were living in his country. And then after a while, the Muslims started to question, what is this man? He says he's a king, but he doesn't believe in God. So within the army of Songhai, uh, there grew up a, a movement of people who said, we, we want a, a ruler who is an African and also a Muslim. And so the line of Soni Ali was overthrown by the line of the soldier, um, Muhammad, uh, whose title as a king was Askia, Askia Muhammad. And he was a very, very wise and 
excellent ruler who built up the great city of Timbuktu on the uh, Niger River as a center of Islamic learning important throughout the world. And he died full of years, Askiya Muhammad, and wisdom. And nobody could have believed that his empire would so soon come to an end. But the gold of Songhai inspired the, the greed of the king of Morocco. So the king of Morocco, who also claimed to be in, in North Africa, Morocco. So the king of Morocco started to, he claimed to be the, the, the caliph, the successor of all Islam. And he started to demand money from the Askia in the name of uh, the, 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 the Muslim religion. But the people of Songhai, the rulers of Songhai felt, no, this is not on. He didn't want the money for God. He wants the money for himself. So they refused. And then in the year 1591, the king of Morocco sent a great army across the desert, armed with guns, mounted even on, on horses. And although it was only 10% of the army of Songhai, they wiped out the army of Songhai, and that was the end of a 800 years of great kingdoms of the Western Sudan. Then, that army, they were mercenaries. They destroyed and they pillaged all these places of gold. So the king of Morocco got no gold because his soldiers got out of control. And after that, after 1591, the destruction of Songhai, uh, the, the, as I can say, the, the leadership path uh, in that part of West Africa to uh, the, the Hausa people uh, of uh, northern Nigeria today who created their own kingdom, the Sokoto Caliphate. Listening to Our Heritage on Channel Africa, the African perspective from Johannesburg, South Africa. In the program this week, we begin looking at the kingdoms of Africa, where we talk about a series of programs on the rise and fall of great kingdoms of Africa. of the peoples of Africa is a concern for the African youth today. Is this history taught adequately in institutions of learning today? Professor Pires has his concerns. If you look at the universities these days, and, and, and I'm also a university person, you, you will start to see that the enrollments in the university history courses are down. And I think a lot of professors feel that history is dead and it's not relevant. Uh, what I can say is that history is very, as a discipline, is, is very alive and well among the communities. Um, and 
uh, people are genuinely interested in, in history, but they don't get it in school. I, I don't know what, and I'm not talking about South Africa now. South Africa is an interesting country, but I'm talking about something that my colleagues have noted in other parts of Africa as well. That the history which is important and, and understandable is not being taught even at school, let alone university. And, and I think, therefore, uh, an institution like Channel Africa has got a vital role to play because people are much interested in these matters, but they don't know where and how to get the information that will be relevant to them. On, one, uh, on, on what uh, the professor has been actually saying throughout, the interesting part that one would be asking was about the when he started on chiefs, going to going to empires, going to emperors, and so on, is when the kingdom known as a kingdom. It's the question of saying is it because the people around that time recognize that part as a chief's part or empire's part or empire's part that how do you how are you known as a bigger kingdom why i'm saying this i say this because during that kingdom times and, and all that there were other kingdoms Existing, as he says, if you look at a different perspective, one would say it was about 200 and something, and one would be saying maybe over thousands of other nations that were there or other uh, uh, areas that were there. Kingdom was declared by who? By the people who were surrounding or by the people within the circle. That's where the kingdom issue is, is coming from. Is that who actually come to the point that it is known in history as a kingdom? Because as you, you took very few, like three that you would like us to focus on, two, is that uh, how, how, how it comes to be known as a kingdom? Because there are other other surroundings that were there. Is it being known internally as a kingdom, as the people who are within the circle saying we are the kingdom? Or it is actually declared by the people who are coming from the outside and look in and look towards the circle and say this is a kingdom. Because a kingdom is is is, is big um, uh, uh, is, is big circle with which has been run by a, a powerful ruler. That's, that's where the area, this is an area where I would like us to actually look at going forward. All right. Thank you, Mr. I think I think you've made a very good, you know, uh, point there in that uh, going forward, we have to look at uh, who makes a king a king. He's made, you know, um, an example of... Uh, um, King uh, 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 Mushwe, Mushwe to say King Mushwe was not born 
It was not coming from, you know, you know, uh, from royalty. From, from royalty. Yes. yes. So, um, what made him to be the king? Yes. Those are the questions. Yes. Can we start a kingdom now? Say, for example, yes. or the Piris or the Nkosis. Yes. Yes. So, that's truly a question that needs to be addressed going forward. have it, listener. The African kingdoms had a role to play in the warfare of the people at the time. Are these kingdoms necessary today? What is your view on this? Let's hear from you and start this conversation. In the program this week, we heard about two of the great African kingdoms. We heard how important these kingdoms were at their different timelines in history. Be there again in our next episode when we continue looking at the other African kingdoms. Should you like to comment on this program, do so by tweeting us on Twitter handle OHG.